Father God, we do recognize you here in this small assembly that you are the Lord God and you do have claims on the lives of your creation and you do control so much of it and uh, have allowed Satan to do other things as well, but uh, you're the one always ultimately uh, in control. So, Father, we so thank you for that. We therefore can trust in you because you have us, your children, in a very special place, in the very center of your working and your will by grace. Oh, Father, what a blessing. We are so encouraged to consider it and to therefore uh, rest in your all provision for our good, working all things together for our good. What a promise indeed that is. Thank you, Father. Thank you for how encouraging it is when we go through hard times. But, Father, we do thank you for all things, therefore, because you are the one who uh, is behind it, and you are the one working such wonders and we see your good hand upon us here in our day-to-day lives so very, very often. Thank you so much for um, helping us all that were in trying times this week. Um, and many have already uh, given us insight into those. They were far more than we knew until now. And now it's been revealed to us. But, Father, you knew all along and you were there. And we're so thankful the Holy Spirit was with each of us crying out to you for your perfect will to be done. Us, Father, and and grief. And we know that uh, you are the great healer, Father, not only physically, but bodily, spiritually. And you're the one who provides hope in hard times for each of us. And we're so thankful that you have, Father, done that so often. And Father, I just was just overwhelmed, really, uh, that you have blessed us so much, considering all that Christ has accomplished for us and continues to do day by day. And we look forward to eternal glory and your very presence and the presence with our dear ones who have gone before Father, please work in this nation so far astray. We can't believe, really, when we hear or read of the latest evil that's being done here in the name of good, of course, and uh, false religions abound, and they're used to justify the most evil acts. So, Father, I just pray that you'd turn around the leaders of this nation fundamentally transform them in their hearts and minds that they might guide and lead properly and that this nation might be preserved from the destructive course it's on and that the world would also be drawn back to, uh, (laughs) as it were, uh, a time without such great threats that uh, consume the uh, the hearts and minds of so many with great fear. Father, thank you for encouraging us, though, that we have an eternal hope. And we do look forward, Father, to hearing the shout, the call, 
and the voice into heaven's glory. Perhaps today. Praise God. Thank you, Father. Please watch over us now as we open your word together. May it be a great blessing. In Christ's name, amen. Well, today is the day that I plan now to finish up our teaching in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. If if we're still here next time, it'll be a surprise to me, but that's happened before. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Um, but uh, we've covered, uh, I think, what was essential, and we'll finish that up today with our final focus on the doctrines, the great doctrines that are taught in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians and how fundamental that teaching is. Uh, last time we we focused in on how I called it the greatest enemy, and in many ways it is. The greatest enemy of pure grace is legalism. Legalism is placing uh, believers who've been saved by grace through faith alone back under some kind of law. That's what legalism is. Whether you were trying to apply it to yourself thinking that's the way that the Lord God wants you to live today, uh, or you're trying to apply it to someone else, it's a great danger indeed. And Satan uses it. He creates the world's religions um, for many purposes, but one of them is to control the minds of believers, many of whom are caught up in some kind of legal religious system. Now, we talked a lot last time about what the difference is between a legal system uh, and pure grace. So I don't want to spend too much time on that today. But let me just say this, that believers are very easily trapped by a legal system because they don't sufficiently contrast law and grace. They they don't understand really the difference. And you'll hear uh, them often speak and teach your ed teachers, well-known ones indeed. Uh, you would even call a, a very popular TV ministry uh, um, using the word grace, grace to you, grace to you. Uh, very, very well-known. But what's being preached uh, is grace inside of a legal system. There, it's very, very sad indeed. Uh, Very dangerous for believers to be caught up in a legal religious system. Now, believers are saved eternally, but that doesn't mean they can't give themselves over again to that which they've been delivered from in their salvation. Uh, The essence of grace is that The Lord God pours out freely blessings independently of our works. He pours out freely blessings independently of our works. By independently, I mean exactly that. Independently, okay? (laughs) And uh, that's the essence of grace, right? 
uh, we could say grace is G-R-A-C-E, as many have said, God's riches at Christ's expense. He's already accomplished the work. Therefore, the blessings are given on the basis of his finished work. Okay, They're not given to us on the basis of our obedience to some kind of law requirement. The essence of law is just the opposite of that. The essence of law is that God blesses based upon obedience to law. And if the if the obedience is not brought forth, then the law promises some kind of punishment. Law is not law without the built-in punishment for disobedience. We can't as believers, and never should, somehow rewrite the law in such a way that it's compatible with grace, right? And somehow, therefore, feel that we are back under law, which uh, surely we are not, okay? So, that's the situation there. Law does promise blessings, but for obedience only, and otherwise, there is the consequence of judgment and punishment. Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't have and hasn't often had mercy, mercy under the terms and conditions of the law. He has certainly often had mercy, absolutely. But mercy is not grace. Mercy is not receiving the punishment that was promised for disobedience. Grace is very different. It's free blessings given without any reference to our obedience. Okay, I sure hope you are seeing that difference. It's so very, very great. Okay, now, last time we ended by looking at Romans and saw that God had promised some wonderful things under grace under grace, and he teaches very clearly what that grace is, what its sheer magnitude is, way beyond our understanding without the help of the Spirit, right? Uh, how much God has blessed us with in spite of our sin and sins, right? We saw that last time, and I'm going to look again at that in a moment in order to uh, focus in here now on the great doctrinal teachings in Second Corinthians. But throughout the, our teaching today, what you're going to see is that the Lord God in Second Corinthians gives teaching fundamental to understanding the doctrines that are taught in Romans and Galatians and elsewhere in Paul's letters. So the Second Corinthians teaching, it's like a foundational underscoring. It's kind of like, this is where you have to go to really grasp on to the full meaning of the doctrines taught in Romans. And so that's why we go back and forth. And we've done it before. We'll do it again today. So let's get right into the subject. There are three points we'll look at today. And these all have very much to do with the doctrinal teaching in Second Corinthians that's so very fundamental. We really must understand this teaching or we'll be at a great, great loss. So first of all, 
By grace, the free blessing of God is promised to all believers. This is very high level. It's very general, right? By grace, the free blessing of God is promised to all believers. And because this is found everywhere in Paul's letters, I mean, don't be surprised if we have considerable overlap with what's been taught before here. The second point, by grace, and here we get into specifics. That first one's about the general blessing of God by grace to all believers. The second one is much more specific. By grace, our pilgrimage, pilgrimage, for we are pilgrims. By grace, our pilgrimage is foreordained by God for our good. Our pilgrimage is foreordained by God for our good, and it's all by his grace. The third point today, by grace, our heavenly inheritance is guaranteed. Period. By grace, our heavenly inheritance is guaranteed. So first of all, by grace, the free blessing of God is promised to all believers. And here's where we want to go back to Romans, because that's where we ended last time. And to see there is very great teaching there in Romans uh, about the free blessing of God on us all. And I want us to consider that again. I'll read the verses and then we'll jump directly into the teaching in Second Corinthians that reflects and really provides a foundation for understanding what Paul wrote in Romans. Romans is mostly a pretty short uh, teaching, but it's very, very power-packed <laughs> indeed, <laughs> doctrinally. And in Corinthians, we have much more explanation. Very helpful for our understanding. Okay, so remember last time we looked in chapter 7 of Romans, and we read together there in chapter 7, and you may have found these words to be quite amazing. I still remember the day when I was reading these words and uh, in Romans 7 and living them, you might say, just like Paul says he did. Because remember, he's giving a testimony here of himself after he was a believer, but when he placed himself back under law and found himself in a desperate strait. And so these are the words that he uh, wrote about his testimony there. This is a negative part of the testimony, but it leads to something truly glorious for Paul, and it did for me as well as I came out of the the bondage uh, to the uh, flesh, really, and back into the realm of the spirit. So long ago, I remember that day so clearly, so important to me. Okay, Romans 7.22. I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The question was, who shall deliver me, right? 
The answer, Paul testifies, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. The fact is, when we place ourselves back under law, the flesh takes over, and we then serve not (laughs) the principles of God, but the principles of sin at work in the flesh. That's the fact of it. That's what Paul testifies here. And then he goes on and opens chapter 8. Now, sometimes chapter divisions are in the wrong place. (laughs) Absolutely, we've seen that, right? Here, it's really hard to put any chapter division in. I think chapters 7 and 8 ought to go together, but uh, that would be far too long. (laughs) And so the translators put a division here that begins like this. Verse 1, Romans 8, because you see, he says, therefore, based upon what he's just said, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Fact is, all of us believers are walking, that's another term for living, we're living after the Spirit because the Spirit indwells us and motivates us and so forth. That's true of every believer. We're not living our lives oriented as we used to be as unbelievers. Unbelievers are always walking after the flesh because they have not the Spirit of God at all, okay? Believers have been taken out of that realm and placed in another realm altogether, the realm of newness of life. But the flesh remains within us. And uh, what Paul then says in verse 2 and 3 is absolutely astounding. Believers really ought to read this who are caught up in a religious system. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that, in order that, the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who are walking not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Okay, so grace reigns, grace reigns, in us as believers. We may not accept it. We may not willingly abide by it. We may place ourselves back under religious rules and regulations. Believers can do that and so often do. But when they do, they short-circuit the working of grace temporarily within them. And so what Paul says here is very strong about how God is working today. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But if you place yourself back under law, then the flesh dominates. Okay, so legalism then is uh, the great enemy of uh, Satan in order to destroy the testimony and the blessing for believers who are truly under a new system altogether. We live in the realm of newness of life. Eternal life is ours 
will we choose to live there or go back under the previous bondage, right? That's that's what Paul writes about, and he writes about it powerfully here in Romans. He writes about it in Galatians. He writes about it in Colossians, in Ephesians. He writes about it in 1 Corinthians, and here in 2 Corinthians, he gives fundamental teaching to support what was written earlier. And let me just quickly read it, because we've already spent much time there. Uh, rather, I'll ask others to read it. <laughs> let's let's read this quickly and then go on uh, to the next point. This is all about how God freely, freely under grace, blesses all of us believers independently of our works. Linda, please read from Second Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and T- Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God, which is in Corneth, with all the saints which are in Achaia. Grace Hi. be to you in peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforteth us in all our tribulations, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the suffering of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. Thank you, Linda. So you see how God is working today by grace in us all. And uh, it's in the realm of... Uh, his good hand resting upon us. That's why he says at the beginning of all of his letters, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's how God is working today in the church, which is his body. He calls us their saints in verse 1, all of us. Are saints, that means sanctified unto the work of God and the blessings that shall be poured out always upon us. And so God is blessed indeed, and so are we. But he starts out by saying we're blessed by him comforting us, right? And Paul gives us testimony here. He He's our example of how God is working today. Paul was tried and under tribulation in so many ways, but always, he says, God comforts us. And why? Because we then may be a comfort to others who are also suffering. And what is it that God is really doing? It says in verse 5, as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. So there's this harmonious working there uh, every day, every hour in our midst. Wow. Okay, let's go on because he goes on to explain it further. Gail, uh, would you please read verses 6 through 9 about how God is working graciously today? And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, 
knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, and we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. Thank you, Gail. <laughs> precious words indeed. I, I believe these words are so precious that in every memorial service, they ought to be shared with those who are grieving such great loss that you see how uh, that last verse ended that Gail just read for us. We should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. And he continues, uh, and uh, Elizabeth, please read for us uh, verses 10 through 12. Who delivereth from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Ye also, helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us, By the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly to you word. Thank you, Elizabeth. So that verse 12 really does summarize it so well and so powerfully, doesn't it? Uh, So this is surely a fundamental teaching, even in our trials, even in our suffering, no matter what the Lord may allow to come to us, right? Uh, He still is at work. He hasn't cut himself off. He's still at work. And we have every reason to rejoice. And he does provide such a comfort that it sustains us uh, in every circumstance of life. That's uh, the summary in verse 12. So this is a fundamental teaching. God is always working blessings towards his people. Okay, that's the general statement. Now let's get to the specifics. Uh, Oh, my. The specifics are so wonderful. Uh, So our second point today, by grace, our pilgrimage is ordained by God for our good. Okay, what is a pilgrimage? (laughs) Who are pilgrims? What are they up to? They're on a path, right? Where are they going? Well, they're going to a destination. Uh, They're pilgrims on a destination uh, that has been designed, we would hope, by Almighty God, right? And that ultimate destination is, yes, heaven's glory, but... There is a path to get there, right? That every one of us will walk, okay? We are all pilgrims on a path to glory, right? You remember that great work by John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress. (laughs) It's a great work. In fact, Pilgrim's Progress was one of uh, just a few books that were commonly owned by believers uh, in uh, the Reformation time, they didn't have, have financial capability to own many books. They only had a few, if any at all. And this was one of them, Pilgrim's Progress. 
Oh, my. So um, now we turn to Second Corinthians chapter two, and I, uh, I will just read a couple of verses before we move ahead quickly here this morning. OK, remember, Paul was giving his testimony and he doesn't always testify about great victories. Uh, sometimes he mentions his failures and highlights them, in fact, as significant, right? And one of them was in the city of Troas. So Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, uh, he, he writes this, When I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, so he had a good intention there, he was on a missionary journey, right? He says, A door was opened unto me of the Lord. However, he says, I didn't have any rest in my spirit because I found not Titus, my brother. So I took my leave of them and went to Macedonia. This was not a great success. He does not highlight his preaching in Troas and how many were saved. Even the great door was open, but he didn't go through it. All because of a personal issue, right? And so he highlights that because he wants to point out the fact that God is working by grace. And so verse 14 says exactly that. Now, thanks be unto God, which always, even if we've run off to Macedonia, right? Which always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. So, it's through weakness that our strength is made manifest, and that's Paul's testimony, all right? And he goes ahead in the letter, and he, when he gets to chapter 4, he talks about how his trials and sufferings continued in every way, but the Lord was nevertheless victorious. So these teachings all underscore the fact that by grace, our pilgrimage is foreordained by God for our good. He's working it all for our good, even through our weakness, even through our infirmities, even through our trials, which may be on every side. And you remember what he wrote in chapter four there about that. But he says also, even though he was forsaken, persecuted, distressed, cast down, but not destroyed, right? And then he says in verse 10 of chapter 4, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Oh, and then he goes on, and oh, I wish we had time to read all the verses again. 
but he does say everything is for your sake, verse 15, in order that the grace of God might be revealed, right? That the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. In verse 16, though our outward man perish, yet the inner man is renewed day by day. Praise God. When we look, he says at verse in verse 18, when we look at the, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, then our affliction seems very light indeed. Just for a moment, he says in verse 17, but it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal realm of glory. Praise God, right? So, on the pilgrimage, there are many trials, but the Lord's good hand rests upon us, and he wants us to live fully in the realm of his abundant grace so that what? So that we can reign in life, reign in life by one, Jesus Christ, because we've received the abundance of his grace, Romans 5.17. Oh, my now, later in chapter 8, he writes about the Spirit. And that brings us to the next sections I'd like um, for Lewis to read. But when Lewis reads verse 28, right, it, there's a promise there in those words that all things are working together for good. How is it that all things can be seen as working together for good? Well, because as he writes in the verses just before that, he says, the Spirit helps our infirmities because we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knowing what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to what? According to the will of God. And Lewis, please read Paul's conclusion then, Romans 8, 28 through 34. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called, according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called, and whom he called, then he also justified, and whom he justified, then he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered, them, delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay any things to be charged of God's elect? It is God that justified. Who is that condemned? It is Christ that died. He rather dies risen again, who is even at the right hand of the Father, who also maketh intersection for us. 
Thank you so much. Praise God. Let's finish the chapter. Jerry, please read uh, Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do I hear any amens? Amen. Amen. Okay, amen indeed. So it's clear. Uh, we see that we're on a pilgrimage, right? Uh, we know uh, where we're going, but we don't know the way all the time, and the way may be uh, not quite what we had anticipated, but Paul, by his own example, is able to tell us very much uh, what it might be like, uh, for it was that way for him. But nevertheless, in all those things, he said, we shall be conquerors in all these things. We shall be conquerors through him that loved us, because nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, so praise God. The measureless grace of Almighty God through Jesus Christ has ordained our pilgrimage that it might be able to reveal his eternal glory. Praise God. It's beyond our understanding, indeed, often, but it stands written, it's revealed, and it's wonderful indeed, and the Lord God continues to give us understanding, doesn't it? Doesn't he? Okay, that brings us to the last point today, and it's a short one. It's very simple indeed. By grace, our heavenly inheritance is guaranteed. So we've seen how the Corinthian teaching provides foundational doctrinal truth so important for our faith. And yes, uh, Romans and other letters can give the doctrine as well, but uh, what we see here underscores it so well and gives us so much encouragement, doesn't it? I'm not uh, at all confused as to why Paul in chapter 1 began this letter by talking about comfort, because the comfort of God comes through our grasping on to the truths of this letter. He shares his Comfort with us through Paul. What a blessing. And we can then share with others. But there is an end point. There is the destination for all of us. For all of us. Because by grace, our heavenly inheritance is guaranteed too. Okay? And that's the final specific doctrinal teaching I want us to look at here. And we'll do that very simply by looking into 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And Tom, 
Would you please read six verses for us? Oh, there are so many more, but we don't have the time today, but you do, maybe later, to continue your reading. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that we being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that morality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. What do we see here? Oh, my. The Lord knows our end from our beginning, of course, because he has planned out the whole thing, right? And he's graciously revealed to us uh, what our end will be. Notice that he does it in some detail compared to what's written anywhere else, right? So the teaching in Second Corinthians gives doctrine so critically important for our faith. And in other places, actually, Second Corinthians is the place, for the most part, where Paul writes about the earnest of the Spirit. Okay, he mentioned it here in chapter 5, verse 5, and he mentions it in chapter 1, verse 22, right at the nearly at the very beginning of the letter, right? The earnest of the spirit. What is an earnest? An earnest is a down payment. Okay? It's something that provides security. We have a down payment on our eternal heavenly inheritance. And that down payment is that the Holy Spirit of God has been given to us all, every believer, graciously. He dwells within us, okay? And he shall never leave us. Never, never, never. Paul writes also in Romans 8 that if anyone has not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his, okay? So only believers have the Spirit of God dwelling within. Others may claim it, but they would be lying or deceived. So, that's a major teaching here in the second letter to the Corinthians. Paul also writes about it, though, in Ephesians chapter 1, sort of at the beginning of that great doctrinal letter of Ephesians that focuses so much on our heavenly inheritance. And this is what he writes there in chapter 1, verse 11 of Ephesians. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. We, all of us believers, have obtained an inheritance in Christ, being predestinated 
according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of the glory of his grace, who first uh, trusted in Christ, in whom he also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. For how long do we have the earnest? Well, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So the redemption of the purchased possession will be accomplished when we're called up into heaven's glory. But until then, we have the down payment. We have the earnest of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Well, I'll conclude by uh, referring to chapter 5 of Romans, where we see that where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Sin reigned to death, and that everlasting, but grace reigns unto life eternal and full of glory. Romans says it so well in chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise God, praise God. Well, there's a hymn that I think uh, nicely summarizes our uh, studies in Second Corinthians so well, and I'd like Patty to close today by reading the words of that. Patty? This is Christ returneth. Um, it may be at morn when the day is awakening, when sunlight through darkness and shadow is breaking, that Jesus will come in the fullness of glory to receive from the world his own. It may be at midday, it may be at twilight, It may be perchance that the blackness of midnight will burst into light in the blaze of his glory when Jesus receives his own. While hosts cry Hosanna from heaven descending with glorified saints and the angels attending, with grace on his brow like a halo of glory, will Jesus receive his own. O joy, O delight, should we go without dying. No sickness, no sadness, no dread, and no crying. Caught up through the clouds with our Lord into glory, when Jesus receives his own. O Lord Jesus, how long, how long, ere we shout the glad song, Christ returneth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord.
Praise the Lord indeed. <laughs> oh my. Uh, I'll just repeat. Oh Lord Jesus, how long, how long, ere we shout the glad song, Christ returneth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Do I hear any hallelujahs? Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, are there any comments before we close in prayer today? Hi, Joe. This is Lewis. Uh, thank you for the uh, the preaching. It's absolutely wonderful. Uh, well, I was just thinking uh, about the two minutes with Bible this morning. You were right. talking about uh, so-called how to be a Christian hmm. uh, because we don't want to come across like non-believers. And otherwise, you know, we won't be able to conduct ourselves as ambassador of Christ. Well, on the surface, this is, makes a lot of sense. But if you think a little deeper, uh, there's some problem there. Um just use this passage, you know, what by the Spirit we shall not fulfill the uh, uh, loss of the flesh. Uh, so if we tell people that, oh, your behavior is not adequate for being the ambassador of Christ, so you should do such and such and such, immediately you put yourself under the law. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of the problems today when the believers, and they know deep down that, uh, there's things they can do better, but the flash is always in the way. So how are we going to overcome this? So instead of uh, they know, you know, we are now under the law. So what what do they do? They say, uh, well, as a group, we should be accountable for, accountable for each other. Well, yeah. that is a problem there <laughs> too, because you need to put yourself under the law, and so. I feel that, you know, just like the uh, the passage I mentioned earlier, you know, walking, you know, in the spirit, that you shall not fulfill the loss of spirit, uh, the loss of the flesh. And how to walk in the spirit. And to me, there's no better way than draw on the word of God and thinking about and study it and, and pray, the, uh, pray that uh, we shall be... Uh, Transform by his word. So um, by that, the fruit of spirit will naturally pour out, not through our will, but through his grace. Amen. I just want to add something to that. So because I've been so stretched um, in terms of really no time for anything on my own, um, I've not been refreshed by the word of God not even my daily Luther daily devotional, like it's bad. But this this sermon today that I've been able to sit down and listen to has just been very wonderful. And Jim, I want to thank you. And it's just so amazing that you're able to do this, even though you've had that move in your life this week. I can only imagine what it must have been like for you guys. So I just I want to thank you both that you're able to have this wonderful ministry. Well, only by his grace was it possible, Elizabeth, and we had reminders all along the way. 
Praise God. Well, okay, let's let's go to prayer. Uh, we have so much to be thankful for, don't we? So very, very much. And we're learning more every day how much we have to be thankful for. Heavenly Father, our hearts go out to you, Father, for you have a heart that always, always, always goes out to us. And truly, your good hand does, and we always have learned and have been told in your word, it always will rest upon us. Your good hand is resting upon us because your children are in the very center of your will and your work today under grace. What an incredible thing to learn, to grasp onto, to cleave to, that your love will never be withdrawn from us because it's been secured in Christ Jesus and that we've been given a deposit of the Holy Spirit to carry us through and continue to not only remind us so often of uh, who we are and who we've become to learn that we are in Christ Jesus, but Father, that your Spirit also cries out for us in ways that we can't, in words that we don't even uh, know. Therefore, we know that all things work together for our good. So, Father, what a blessing. It changes our lives every time we consider it. Indeed, this precious truth is what in, enables us, it, it energizes us, it gives us the strength to go on to the next test and the next day. And we know, Father, that we're on a great pilgrimage indeed, but you're the one managing the pilgrimage. And you foreordained it not only uh, the blessings of this life, but our eternal blessing. Thank you, Father, for humbling your Son for our sakes, that we might be humbled as well and then glorified together. Praise your heavenly name. Amen.